Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Orpert. My name is Tim Williams. I work with John behind the scenes, and I'm your host for this series, Finding God in Your World. Today, John sits down with Glenn Packiam, the lead pastor of Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa, California. Glenn is the author of several books, including The Resilient Pastor, Blessed, Broken, Given, and the most recent title co-authored with his wife, Holly, The Intentional Year. He earned a doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham University and is a senior fellow at Barna Group, an ordained priest with the Anglican Church of North America, and has written over 65 worship songs published with Integrity Music, including Your Name, which you might recognize, co-written with Paul Balash. John and Glenn talk about living with intention, managing the busyness of Christmas, managing technology, finding God in the midst of brokenness and suffering, and many other topics. If you're new to the podcast, we have a website you'll want to check out, becomenew.com, where you can find more resources, including the option to subscribe to our email or text, which accompanies each episode with more resources and discussion. Now, here's John and Glenn. Glenn, this is meant for public consumption, although you never know. If Jesus shows up or you say something unbelievably brilliant, we might just have to use it. But I, I have seen your name around for so long and know what you're doing. So I'm so glad to get to meet and connect and find the face and get to talk to the voice behind uh, all of that work. So it's an honor. Uh, Thank you. Listen, the honor is mine, John. I've been a fan of your work and your life, you and Nancy and all that you've done to... Uh, help the church live into, you know, actual discipleship and prayer and just what a man, what a privilege. So, uh, well, let, let me do this. This is kind of I think this will be formally what we're going to do. We're doing an Advent series. Hi to everybody. If anybody's watching this right now and it's um, finding God in our world. You know, uh, the name that Jesus has given, among others, is Emmanuel, God with us. You got to do life today anyway. Uh, You can do it with them. You can do without them. Better to do it with them. So I get to talk to Glenn Packing, but this is really our chance to get to know each other. And your journey is just kind of intriguing to me. Um, Malaysia, you are a musician. Um, (laughs) I'm on the Enneagram, if you know Enneagram stuff. I'm free, but with a four wing. So I'm not Uh really an artist, not nearly talented enough to be an artist, but I love music. So I lean in that way a little bit. Uh, you are a scholar, doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham. You're a fellow there, fellow with the Barna Group. So your mind, your love for the world of the arts and beauty is kind of fascinating. Tell me a little bit about how did you how did you navigate the path you've navigated? Oh, well, it always seems to make more sense in hindsight, doesn't it, John? I mean, I had no idea the the different roads uh, my life would take. I grew up in Malaysia. My parents were believers, um, but it didn't start out that way for them. My dad was actually a Hindu. My mom was an Anglican. Uh, They met at the University of Singapore and my mom was like, I'm not marrying a Hindu. And my dad (laughs) goes, my my dad goes, okay, I'll become a Christian. No, I mean, obviously, (laughs) obviously there's more to this story. And the truth is my dad was just fascinated by this story of a God of love, a God who would die for us. And so by the time my sister and I came along, my parents were, you know, the faith had become real for them. They would describe this born again experience. 
And so I was privileged to kind of grow up in a home like that. And, and my dad would, would order these uh, Hosanna tape of the month club stuff, you know? So every Saturday morning, he'd be blasting praise music on the cassette tape. And I, so I just kind of grew up around it, heard him, <laughs> heard him singing with it, heard him pray with it. So I, I learned to do that. And my mom was kind of the Bible teacher, you know, uh, she was the one who was always studying the, uh, the, the word. And she's got proof that she showed it to me recently, but there's this old study Bible she had that I, uh, I scribbled on and I, I was probably six or seven years old, John, but I wrote in there, I love the father. I love Jesus. I love the spirit. I love them all. So my Trinitarian theology was close at a young age, but not quite there. That was pretty <laughs> remarkable for seven years old. That shows more understanding than most of us get like full blown grown up. And, and um, so, you know, a love of the life of the mind, trying to think mm. deeply about God, wanting to, um, hold on to faith and ask the kind of questions that you ask if you live in a more academically oriented yes. world. How did that yeah. get started for you? What was that like? You know, I, so the church setting that I was in in Malaysia was was kind of more on the Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And so I always felt like an outsider, John, because everybody was talking about experiences. And I had some of that. I'm emotionally wired. I am a three, two, three, four on the Enneagram, you know, depends on the depends on the day. And uh, so I, I had that emotional side, but I always felt like I was analyzing, maybe a bit too yeah. skeptical. And I felt like an outsider to that. And then our family moved from Malaysia to the West Coast. Uh, the West Coast to Portland, Oregon, Northwest. Uh, back in 1988, my parents went to Bible school up there, and my sister and I just went to this, you know, Christian school that the church had. And I've, I encountered people who who loved the Bible and who loved theology. And so this is another kind of nerdy insight into my life, but. I was I was transfixed by these preachers who could who could talk about justification and and unpack theology and I thought wait a minute there's more here uh, than what I thought there you know there was as a kid so so but then I you know over the years as I've been in kind of the academic settings and been in some of these you know seminars or whatever I I, I find something else missing there so the life of the mind without you know the, the life of the spirit or the life of of, of the heart and soul and emotions also felt empty. And so I, I think in one way, I've been trying to, to chase a spirituality that makes sense of the way God has made me. And as it turns out, maybe many others are along that same journey too. Yeah. I remember reading um, Dallas Willard, who has impacted me and lots of us would talk about uh, two of what he calls for the central spiritual disciplines are study and worship. And that, uh, study should always result in worship, that if study hasn't resulted in worship, then we haven't actually understood it with our whole being. And worship should always involve more or less be preceded by studied. Otherwise, it just can become kind of the worship of experience. And so for anybody who's listening to us right now in this Advent season to think of trying to study the person of Jesus, but then don't stop there. Let that move on into worship is a great gift. Yes. Yes. And amen to that. I like the way you said that. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, here's what I was thinking. I would love to chat with you about. It's a quote from uh, French thinker, philosopher, Simone Weil, And I've never actually read uh, the context of where she wrote it. I've just seen the quote floating around. But she says, there are two things that pierce the human heart. And one is beauty and the other is affliction. Mm. And I was thinking about how wow. uh, you are a musician. So you have a keen, deep sense for beauty and how that pierces us. Mm. 
And then one of the books that you wrote is based on the words that are repeated in the New Testament around uh, the Eucharist, around yes. communion, where the bread is described as um, blessed, but then broken mm -hmm. and then given. Mm -hmm. And so you have given lots and lots of your life and thought to both um, how God pierces the heart through beauty and how he pierces it through affliction. So mm -hmm. if you don't mind, let's start with that yeah. one. Christmas is a time when wow. lights, ornaments, decoration, music, we hope for beauty a lot, but people don't always find God in it. Mm. You know, it's so true, John, because there is this time where there is sort of this external, maybe even a sentimental sort of beauty. And, and, I, th and, I, and I think that's what we have to differentiate between beauty, uh, not just in an aesthetic sense, but not just in a sentimental sense. I think actual beauty and the beauty that artists know is a beauty that is um, shaped by suffering. Uh, it's a beauty that's marked by even imperfection. It's the imperfection that makes human art uh, so beautiful. Uh, and, and I think those words, blessed, broken, given, are so interesting to me, John, because if I were to come up with a sequence, you know, that, that shaped the gospel life, I would have put broken first and then blessed and then given because I'd say I was broken and thank God now I'm blessed and then now I'm ready to be given, you know, and yeah. Jesus, Jesus doesn't see it that way. To be blessed is to have our stories reclaimed. I mean, that's that's the sort of the the essence of this is, is God uh, renaming us and saying, no, no I, I'm claiming you for myself. It's to be returned to sort of our original identity to be blessed. There's this parallel between Genesis 1, where God's blessing Adam and Eve, and Ephesians 1, where Paul says, we've now been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Mm. And, and uh, so I, I think there's something beautiful in that renaming and reclaiming. But then that brokenness, you know, the brokenness that comes in, in, in the world, it comes really at least from three different places. It comes from our own failure. Sometimes it's our own failures, our own sins, our own shortcomings. Uh, but sometimes that brokenness comes from just the frailty of being human, of being a creature, yeah. of having limits, of having bodies that break down, of having limitations in our own mental capacities, emotional capacities, so frailty. But then sometimes that brokenness comes from the fallenness of the world. And I think Advent is not just permission to acknowledge brokenness, but actually it, there's a beauty in recognizing that we have a savior who came into our brokenness in order to redeem it. And so what happens, the reason it's the second move in, in, in the Eucharistic sort of formulation is because once we've been blessed in Christ, now there's not one part of your life that is out of the hands of Jesus. Every part of your story, the pain, the joys, the, you don't have to come to God and show him just the shiny elements of the story you can bring that brokenness and i think what happens is in jesus's hands brokenness actually becomes openness and it, it you know i i grew up in malaysia there's all kinds of breads around the world but there's a bread in malaysia called roti it's like a non bread but a little flakier and you you break it so that you can dip it in this curry and it it soaks it up and i think when our lives are broken in the hands of jesus that brokenness gets placed in jesus's hands now it's open to his grace. It's open to absorb the richness of his life, of his presence, which then leads to that third move given because bread that is not broken cannot be shared. But once it's broken, now out of our brokenness, we can be given for the life of the world. This was, in fact, the, the, the story of Jesus. This is the story of our lives. And this is the story of the church. So 
I, I'd love to pursue that question of brokenness for you a little bit more personally, kind of where have you found Jesus in that? Because I think most of us think, oh, yeah, to find him in blessing for sure. And uh, that that distinction between sentimentality and genuine beauty uh, it makes me think about all the Hallmark Christmas movies that are out this time of year. And they probably, probably, I'm not an expert on them, but don't involve a sense of ongoing brokenness. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. it's a very, very insightful observation, but mm. I was thinking about that passage, uh, about those three words pretty recently and, um, a sense of brokenness in my own life that have come from all three of those categories, um, mistakes, sins, guilt that I regret deeply and, uh, living in a world where death and frailty reign. And I've had a few of those in my life over just the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, and then, uh, the, the system in which we're in. And part of what I was thinking about was, um, with the bread, when Jesus gives the bread and starting with himself, um, it's only able to be given because it's been broken up in little pieces. I grew up with banana bread. My grandmother used to make me banana bread and she would always cut it up into little tiny squares. And we always thought that was a cool kid thing. Really, she just didn't want crumbs, but we didn't know that. We thought there was this gesture of love and accommodation. It was just really hyper cleanliness. But um, uh, as long as the loaf is whole, it literally can't be given. And so that thought was kind of piercing for me, but also a little bit hopeful the brokenness that I have gone through uh, is in some real deep way, not something that I will ever get over or should want to get over. And in a way, it enables me to meet with people and have conversations with people that I would not if I had not gone through it. So it was it was both daunting and hopeful to think about that. Um, for you, how have you experienced that sense of brokenness and in particular as we think about finding god god being with you in the brokenness it's that's such a profound uh, reflection john and i can think through different moments of my life you know i i can think about early on in ministry six years into my time at the at the church that i was serving at in colorado for 22 years six years into my time there back in 2006 the founding pastor had a pretty public moral failure. So there was that. And then 13 months after that, uh, when new senior pastor had come in, we're just finding our feet again. And there was a gunman that came on campus, opened fire in the parking lot, wounding several people and taking the lives of two teenage girls. And uh, my wife and our two uh, daughters at the time were, you know, toddlers, babies, you know, they were hiding under a desk in one of the offices. Oh, I was wow. out in the other parking lot. So I think about that pain. But then I think about even more personally, some of the uh, the stuff, you know, my wife and I have experienced together, whether it's miscarriages or more recently, a few years ago during COVID, I, I had to have surgery on my vocal cords with this laser thing, you know, to, to deal with an issue. And it was, you know, it was the kind of thing where I'd heard of that same procedure going wrong for a few people. And I remember sitting in one of the waiting rooms thinking, Jesus, could you, this would be a great moment for you to do one of those miracles. I promise I'll testify about, you know, and all I got back from God, all I got back from God in that moment was I'm with you. And I thought, okay, okay, 
Okay. And I know, you know, there's people who have much more, you know, difficult situations. I'm not at all trying to create an equivalence, but I, I think there's something about when we go through those moments, the, the beauty of it all, the beauty of Advent is that God doesn't come to our perfect lives. He comes to our messy worlds. He comes to us as we are uh, to be with us. Well, and so then thinking particularly about Advent, uh, another, I think it's the most recent book. I think you and Holly have worked on it. It's yeah, the intentional yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, for folks who, uh, tune in to become new very often, I do talk about Dallas Willard quite a lot. And, uh, uh, one of the frameworks that he would use to describe how change happens always for any individual in any area or even for organizations is he would use this little acronym VIM where the V stands for a vision. I have to have a vision for what would my life look like if, you know, in Advent, if I were living with God each day, what, what would that look like? The M comes at the end. Those are means or methods. So spiritual practices, walking through suffering well, having relationships with other people. But right in between is that little I word, and that's intention. That I have to form an intention. I actually have to make a decision. Um, and at the same time, we're all aware of what a finite commodity willpower is. <laughs> and if we're trying to gut out faith by more willpower, more willpower, there's sometimes in our day kind of a cult of devotion or commitment. I'm more committed than you. We're super committed. If you're not committed enough, you're going to go to hell. Um, so uh, especially those of us who lead churches, we can, we can lean on that a lot to try to get people to do what we want them to do. So talk a little bit about intentionality. Um, where have you been intentional, especially in this season where we all feel so busy, so crowded? Uh, how, and, and then how do you pursue being intentional without having it turn into just being exhausted by more gritting it out through willpower? Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, I mean, first of all, let me be uh, vulnerable here. I'm embarrassed to admit that I had not read the vision intention means thing until after the book came out. And then people said, don't you know this? You know, and I felt embarrassed. Like maybe it was there somewhere in the subconscious. But but uh, this really the book grew out of a retreat that my wife and I have done for, I think, about 12 years now. And it started with us just saying, hey, let's get away before New Year's every year. And we'll just kind of take a time to catch our breath, maybe look ahead for the new year. But as time went on and we began to learn more about spiritual practices, the retreat took on this very distinct shape. And then people would say, tell, tell us what you're doing. So it's, it's not, it's not unique, but the combination, the, the, the structure of it and the book outlines it this way is really three movements. The first is to reflect on the past. And I think we can't start to, to think about what's new or what's next until we properly deal with what we've just come out of, what we just come from. And so my wife actually developed a, a way to apply the prayer of examine, but over the course of an entire year. So you're looking back over the previous year, maybe pulling out a journal, maybe pulling out your calendar or your photos. Some people, you know, go through their photos from the previous year as a way to prompt a review and then to, to say, where were some of these gifts from the Lord? Where were some of the challenges? Where What do we need to repent of? What were some places of pain? Where can we re request the grace of God? So it's all meant to be soaked in the atmosphere of prayer. You're communicating with the Holy Spirit as you do this. But then the second movement, is really about discerning the season. Now, my father-in-law is a farmer. You know, he farmed for about 50 years in Iowa, beef cattle, corn, alfalfa, all this stuff. And one of the things I heard him say over the years, you know, over and over again, was you got to do the right work in the right season. 
You know, you can't start cutting down firewood, you know, at Thanksgiving break. You got to have done that before. And so discerning the season became such an important part of this because so many of us rush to add things to our lives when actually this is a season where you're supposed to be simplifying things and taking things out of your life. And so the right things done in the wrong season can actually be unhelpful and they can actually be harmful. So the, the automatic default answer is not you need more spiritual disciplines. You might actually need to refine your approach to some of these things. And so discerning the season is important. And then the third and final movement is taking an inventory of five spheres of your life. And the, the five that we kind of name uh, is prayer, rest, renewal, work and relationships. And it's very, it's a very common uh, approach. I, I'm, you know, I know many people have versions of this. Uh, for us, the spin on it of, of distinguishing between rest and renewal, it's like what our kids do. You know, they, they pick up our phones and they're like, dad, I can't believe you have all these apps open. That's killing your battery and you close all the apps. You know, that's rest. Rest is closing the apps, you know, but, but renewal is like plugging your phone in. You actually need to do things that actually recharge and replenish. And so what we began to do is we began to say, are we doing anything in these five spheres on purpose or are we just reacting and responding to? And in ministry, as you know, it's so easy to just fill your, your, your life, your work, your relationships, uh, it, you know, just with whatever, whatever is left for you. It's reactive or responsive. And so we wanted to be proactive. We wanted to be intentional. And then we've learned over time not to be too ambitious about this. Uh, a person who's listening to this might only come up with one intentional practice uh, for each of those five spheres, or actually you might come up with one that could possibly speak to all five of those spheres. And so you don't want to be, this is not another achievement thing. I think there's a fundamental difference between productivity and fruitfulness. I think productivity is about what we're doing. And this is not, this is not a book. The intentional year is not about increasing your productivity. A fruitfulness is about who we're becoming. And that's the key. Fruitfulness. This is about partnering with the Holy Spirit to cultivate fruit, uh, the fruit that he wants in our lives. Glenn, this has been wonderful and it's flown by. I think I'll see with our team if we can put up those five areas for folks to be able to reflect on and think about um, just this day. Um, what's one way in which God is calling you to be intentional about the life that you're living? How is God saying you can make a decision in a way here that will not exhaust you, that will give you rest or renewal or both? It reminds me, I need to close down a bunch of apps. And uh, I think I need to do that on my phone, but I think I need to do that in my soul. It struck me when you were talking about the need to subtract. Perhaps instead of Advent, we should call this Subtractvent because we need to do a lot more subtracting. Uh, my family would call that dad humor and say it's awful. So I apologize <laughs> I for that now. Man, I love it. But I think Subtractvent could actually be a thing. Um, so today, what do you want to subtract so that you can rest and find him? in this season uh do that you can you're going to do life today one way or the other better to do it with god glenn i hope we can talk some more thank you very much thank you so much john what a privilege thanks again for joining us if you like this podcast you can help us out by leaving a review or by sharing with a friend for more resources check out becomenew.com and if you need prayer there's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray for listeners like you. Send us your prayer requests at 855-888-0444.
We'll catch you next time.